good, everybody. Welcome to episode number 39, the Hugh McElhenney edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me, as always, is Levin Black. Good day to you, sir. Yeah, been a while. Nice little break from each other. I know. I was in a good mood, and then I saw your face on the on the squad cast, and now it's just okay. Yeah, I mean, to make a Friends reference, since that's something to do right now, since they're having their <laughs> reunion, we were on a break. <laughs> that's true. We were kind of on a break. For those that don't know, by the way, Hugh McElhenney, number 39, retired by the 49ers, Hall of Famer, member of the Million Dollar Backfield. When he retired, he had the third most all-purpose yards in the history of the NFL, and he's also a member of the all-decade team for the 1950s. Of course. What percentage of our listeners do you think knew who he was? Two. Two <laughs> percent. He's he's forgotten because Joe Perry of the Million Dollar Backfield is the name that everybody knows because he was the leading rusher for 50 years until Gore broke it. Sorry, Hugh McElhenney, but you were still great. <laughs> Six-time Pro Bowler. You're in the Hall of Fame, so... 90, I think 92, 93 years old, Hugh McElhenney. So there you go. Sweet. <laughs> dynamite, <laughs> dynamite drop it. Okay. Let's set the table. Before we get started, rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. If you have a question for us, drop it in your review and we will read it on the show. Today, we're going to listen to John Lynch, who was just on the herd with Colin Cowherd, had some interesting things to say about the 49ers quarterback situation. So we'll get to that. A bunch of 49ers are favorites for a lot of the end-of-year awards, which isn't surprising to me, but it seems like the national media, or at least a lot of the national people, are a little surprised by that. They shouldn't be. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about quarantine Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit. Some people got up at arms about a photo that emerged of him this week. And uh, before we go at the end of the show, to Levin is going to unleash hell because I sent him a tweet about the 49ers defense from Bleacher Report. They ranked all 32 defenses, and they put the 49ers at 15th for 2021, and that infuriated Levin, so he's going to go scorched earth before we leave at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I've had all day to sit and stew on it. I knew I got him, too, because I texted it to him, and then I saw him tweeting about it, so uh, if that level of rage came that quickly i i i knew i found a, a soft spot so there we go we'll get to that as well let's start with the john lynch stuff he was on the herd and a lot of the interview was him kind of rehashing the story of the draft and how him and kyle like trade lance and this that and the other thing and colin was giving him props for not having any leaks yada 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 and then they started talking about the quarterback situation and lynch i thought gave the most honest assessment. I think you can get a little more honesty out of Lynch sometimes if you get him talking because he was asked about Trey Lance and, you know, when he's going to take over. And here's John Lynch on the Niners quarterback competition. We're going to put both guys out there, open the competition. That will be Kyle's decision. He's the coach of this football team. And um, let it kind of play out. I had gotten the idea from Kyle Levin that it was Jimmy's job to start with, and then maybe Lance could eventually take over. But Lynch there said, they're rolling the ball out. It's an open competition. That's a little different than what Kyle said earlier this offseason. I mean, I, I think that's a matter of semantics. It's basically, it's Jimmy's job to lose, but there's actually a chance of him losing it. You know, it's not a situation you could say, well, that's true of every player on any roster, that if they're not good, 
or they're not the best, they'll lose their job. Well, no. I mean, sometimes you have the very clear, that guy is the starter. Like Matt Ryan is the starter in Atlanta. He's not going to be replaced no matter how bad his training camp is. There is a chance that Jimmy gets unseated if Trey Lance comes in and, and is truly a savant with the playbook. I think that would be the biggest hinder to him getting in is that if he doesn't have the playbook almost completely down, he's not going to be going in. Kyle's such a big stickler on playbook. I think he's going to have to be like at least 80, 90% of the way through the playbook capable of running it, knowing all the audibles, all that. Shouldn't he be though? Like if you're Trey Lance, literally what are you doing between now and the start of the, the season? Like you should be in your playbook 12 hours a day, every day, asking questions, you know, memorizing plays, all that stuff. Like there's no reason you shouldn't be up to speed. Yes and no. I think that's a fan perspective because, yeah, I mean, my brain tells me, well, what else do you have to do? Why couldn't you have the playbook completely down? But then when you actually look at the results, more often than not, it takes a quarterback a while to fully grasp and know exactly what to go to, exactly what option routes are going to be there and and what they're going to turn into after the snap based on what the defense is doing. All those, I think, because you have to kind of rely on, on the results that the quarterbacks have. And it's got to be much, much, much more complicated than we can understand being people who have never had our hands on a complicated playbook like that. And on top of that, I, I, I would guess that there's quite a bit of until you truly are utilizing the playbook, to put it that way, you can't fully learn everything because until you see it in action, you can't truly know it. And it's, it's no different than when you learned to drive. You knew what driving was. You knew what you were supposed to do. But when you got behind the wheel, you were probably pretty crappy about it and pretty nervous and didn't know exactly everything. And it took you a little bit of practice to get it. It's like that with a playbook. You got to play the plays sometimes. Thank you for stealing the exact analogy I've been using every time I talked about Trey Lance and when he should start. So clearly you've been listening to all the shows and interviews I've been doing and you just decided to steal my thing. Would it be bad if I said no? (laughs) <laughs> well, there's really no good side. You either did listen and you stole them or you haven't been listening because you don't care about me as a person. Oh, I have to listen to you to care about you in person. That's right. Uh, but I agree. Like, you, there's only one way to really master it. And there's a lot of people that um, function on one of those ways. Like, they can learn it in the classroom on the whiteboard, but they it's different and they struggle on the field. And there's also people that struggle to explain it on the whiteboard, but then they get on the field and it just clicks and it works for them. It's rare to get both, especially from an early, especially right out of the gates week one. Um, I, I mean, th- there is always the chance that he never gets it. That's And that's also too. That's, yeah. That happens to players. Now, he certainly seems like, and I think the whole entire reason why Kyle took him um, over the other options that were there in the draft is that he is very, very good at picking up a playbook and understanding concepts. But there are certain people, and I would say it's a pretty good percentage that they might understand a playbook, but the speed of the game, they can't process it fast enough. So they tell me there's a lot of landmines here in this situation. That's what you're giving me. Yeah, and that, that's why I I don't know if you saw my tweet from earlier this week. I threw it out there like, what quarterbacks in the league that if you could get them straight up, just a straight swap of the quarterbacks, would you take? Because I wanted to see how many people have created a very strong connection and bias already. So like Justin Herbert, 
there were some people that responded saying they wouldn't trade for Justin Herbert straight up. Any rookie is an unknown. Any. It doesn't matter how good you think he's going to be. Every single quarterback taken in the first round, the other the team taking them thought they were going to be the future of the franchise. <laughs> right. They didn't take them thinking they were going to suck. <laughs> so, like, you, you got to take the sure thing. Even if the sure thing isn't, you know, there were some on there that were, they're not quite great, but they're good and they're still young enough that they could become great, like a Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is very good. You know, he had 37 touchdowns and only 12 picks last year, and he had 4,800 yards of offense. But more people responded saying they would not take Murray than people responded that they would. And I think that's just ludicrous. You don't know what Trey Lance is. And I get, like, having faith in in your coaching staff and the team and all of that. Like, that's where I am right now. I'm living in that have faith area. But at the same time, you don't need faith with Kyler Murray because he's done it. You have facts on your side. And if I have to choose between faith and facts, I take facts every time. Right. Like, if you could say, here's a really young quarterback who's still on a rookie contract who is good, but he'll never be great. Would you take that swap over a complete unknown of a rookie who hasn't played yet? I would. You can tell me the guy's going to be good. That's good enough. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's always nice to have the guy that could be a future MVP. But if the guy's simply good, like, that is a good result from the pick. The last time the 49ers had a good quarterback for 16 games, they were in the Super Bowl. I'm just throwing that out there. In fact, the last two times Kyle Shanahan has had a good quarterback for 16 games, he's going to the Super Bowl. 2016 with the Falcons and 2019 with the 49ers. So I think I saw a tweet from Al Sacco who said, the Niners have had a healthy quarterback for a full season in just five of the last 19 years, which is incredible when you think about it because the NFL has basically made it damn near illegal to hit a quarterback and still the 49ers have not been able to keep a quarterback healthy. And that's why looking back on the past 19 years, for most of it, the 49ers have been bad. Right. It, I mean, that is a crazy thing. I saw that tweet. I do want to make a small correction. It wasn't that they had them fully healthy it's just that they started 16 games because some of those years in there it was the quarterback was ineffective and got benched okay we we have have spoken to one (laughs) no we have spoken to one of those quarterbacks like jt o'sullivan got starts because and then didn't remain the starter because people were ineffective you know that was the era where we were going through three or four different starters in a season looking for somebody that could be the future so God, I hope that streak comes to an end soon. Uh, we will see. I just thought it was interesting, or you thought it was interesting that John Lynch uh, popped on the herd. Was there anything else from that interview that jumped out to you that uh, is worth bringing up? No. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's confirmed what what I've been saying and what we've talked about, that it is very possible that Jimmy Garoppolo stays on this team. And I think they will not trade him unless they get an offer they can't refuse until they know – Trey Lance is the guy. Now, once Trey Lance is the guy, I still think that they would keep him if there's not a good offer out there. They're not going to trade him for just whatever they could get because I believe what happened last year has scarred Kyle and Lynch to a degree to where they want a quality backup so that if the starter goes down, their season's not over. Here's the question for you, because people keep saying, well, start Jimmy, start Jimmy until Trey is le- until Trey is ready. Until he's ready, then let him learn, and then you can throw him in. But here's the problem. Jimmy Garoppolo has not made it out of three of the last four Septembers. He has not been able to stay healthy through the September in three of the last four years. 
So let's say it's week two again and Jimmy gets hurt. Does Kyle go to quarterback number three, who at this point I assume is going to be Nate Sudfeld, just given how much guaranteed money is in his deal? Does he skip Trey Lance and go to Nate Sudfeld because he says, hey, Trey's not ready? Because that's the thing. Like, we're all assuming that it's going to be Jimmy until Trey is ready, but Jimmy could go down super fast as he has. And then it's Trey whether he's ready or not. No, that, that, that would be ridiculous to me. If you take a guy as high as the Niners did and trade three first-round picks for him and he's the third string, that's a problem. You know, that would be like the Chargers last year going, well, we're not sure if Herbert is ready, and this is a last-minute deal because of what they did um, to the starter, that they go with whoever their third string was last year. Well, I'm not even sure who it was. But, no, you go with the rookie and see what he is because sometimes you don't think somebody's ready – and then they're just on it. You know, they're a gamer. You know, I, I don't think the Chargers wanted Herbert in there. I'm sure they, they wanted him to sit for a while. And then he ended up having the best rookie season anybody's ever had. <laughs> Which is why, to me, you should just start Lance from week one. Like, because that might happen. That situation could very easily happen. So you just might as well throw him in there anyway. But I, I'm trying not to get too fired up about this because it's May. We have a long way to go, but that is that's clearly where I am. Um, but it was nice to hear John Lynch say, "Hey, it's sort of an open competition, and we'll sort of see." Um, speaking of Jimmy Garoppolo, a lot of people were talking about the photo of Jimmy Garoppolo that was circulating on Twitter. I think actually Akash tweeted it out. Uh, it was from that video that the Niners posted of all their big name veterans showing up, and Jimmy Garoppolo was there. And let's just say. He did not look as um, physically toned as maybe we're used to seeing. I thought he looked a little frumpy. Your thoughts? Pudgy would be a good way to put it. But did he look like he had a tiny bit more than normal? Yes. Did he look like he was out of shape? No. He he was not Mac Jones. He didn't have a gut (laughs) sitting there, you know. He didn't have a gut. He just, he didn't look like his normal self. Do I care? No. You just said it. It's May. I don't care. Now, if he looks like that when he gets to training camp, I care then. But it's the off season. He's probably been on vacation. He's probably been, get me the hell out of here after the season, how last season went, you know? He's got two months to get in shape. It doesn't take that long. And like I said, he wasn't in that bad of shape anyways. Uh, But wouldn't you think if there were ever a year where he was going to show up prime, ready to go, it'd be the year after the team traded three first-round picks and a third to get a guy that plays at your position? I mean, if there was ever a year, right, that was the point of of getting Trey Lance to push Jimmy Garoppolo, and he shows up out of shape? He's got two months. He hasn't reported yet. It was a voluntary workout, one that he actually got money to go to. Yeah, he got $600,000 to go to. Yeah, like... We're not in July. If he shows up to training camp, that's a problem. But he won't. Jimmy is an understudy of Tom Brady. He has All never right. looked like, you know, he's never been out of shape in season. That no, we've he ever hasn't. Seen or noticed. Nope. Yeah, he's always been fine. Um, we'll see. I just, it surprised me. That's all I'm saying. I didn't expect it. And I saw the photo and I was just like, whoa. And quarantine Jimmy just became a thing online. So it, it's Peak off-season talk. That's what that story is. <laughs> That's fair. I agree. That's fair. 
Um, okay, let's do this. Let's take a break. And when we come back from break, I will get to the story that infuriated Levin like I haven't seen since the 49ers were actually playing games. And then there were a couple other nuggets about the 49ers. And maybe if you want to put a couple shekels down on some 49ers, we'll tell you who and for what after the break. All right, Levin, we are back. And let's get to it now because I had texted you a ranking from Bleacher Report who decided to power rank all 32 defenses after the draft. And they put the 49ers, and I I don't know how, but they have San Francisco at 15, one spot better than the New Orleans Saints and one spot worse than the Arizona Cardinals. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, there's... There's two different parts of this that really pissed me off, and I don't know which one is worse. One is the writer, and one is Bleacher Report themselves. So I'll start with the writer. The writer's name was Alex K. Go ahead and search for him on Twitter. Let me know if you find his profile, because I couldn't. And that tells you everything right then and there. Bleacher Report allows just about anybody to write for them. They will pump out a whole bunch of different articles, some are very credible actual journalists and some very credible people have gotten their start with Bleacher Report. But that's not everybody. There are so many articles out there written by people who just don't know what they're talking about. And this is one of them. This was somebody that either doesn't know enough or was simply lazy because I know how he got to the Niners being 15th. There's only one way if you look back because the NFL ranks defenses based on yards given up in a season. The Niners were the fifth best defense last year in yards given up. They were a top five defense, despite missing Bosa and a whole bunch of other people. But they were 17th in points allowed. So that tells me that this guy just looked at points allowed and went, well, I'll change the numbers a little bit here and there based on what happened to him. So he goes, well, they get Bosa back, but they lost their defensive coordinator. So they were 17th. I'll bump them a t- tiny bit to 15th. He didn't bother to look more in depth than that. And that, that to me is lazy. And the fact I couldn't find his Twitter profile tells me, yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But there's the other aspect. Bleacher Report retweeted it on their main account that has more than 500,000 followers. Maybe you shouldn't retweet crap articles that aren't researched <laughs> well from Joe Schmoes who don't even have a Twitter page that I can find. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to be credible, don't retweet the crap that you're allowed to be produced on your website. And I, I don't, I'm glad they give the opportunity to just about anybody who wants it. I mean, there, there are people out there that need that opportunity to, to get noticed and they're very good at, at what they do. But that doesn't mean that, oh, this guy wrote something that would get a reaction. We're going to retweet it. No, have some credibility and not retweet that. My issue with it is 15th basically means a tiny bit above above average, right? There's 32 teams. 16th would be dead in the middle. They have the 49ers at 15. And that's like saying, yeah, they're slightly above average. When if you even paid attention a little bit, you saw that this defense is anything but average. Yes, they were lower in in, uh, points allowed than yards allowed. But that is because the idiot trash bags that the 49ers have had at quarterback kept turning the damn ball over and putting them in position to give up points very quickly. It's not because they allowed teams to go up and down the field on them. In fact, really the only team that went up and down the field and not uh, on them kind of easily was Buffalo. That was just a domination game, but it, it, it was frustrating to me because in football, more than any other sport, 
you need context for the statistics. You cannot just look at the raw number and think you have the whole story. There's there's context that goes with that, and it definitely applied to the 49ers defense last year. And they're bringing back pretty much everybody, save for Richard Sherman and, may, I mean, D Ford, we, we don't know. Supposedly he might be back, but who knows. But, I mean, it's basically the same defense that was in 2019 that, again, was fifth, as you said, in yards allowed. So I don't know how you could just always swing them to the middle of the league. To me, it made no sense. And I thought it would fire you up, but I'm glad to see that I have succeeded. I mean, if you want to find an offense to turn the ball over a lot and kind of left their defense out to dry, other than actually looking at turnovers given up, there is a very easy way to find it. And that is look for the teams that defensively didn't give up many yards, but points allowed were much lower or they gave up a lot more points allowed than what the yards would indicate. The Niners are a prime example of that last year. Like I said, fifth in yards. They were also fourth in yards per play given up. So it's not like that it was just like short games because Shanahan runs the ball a lot or anything like that. They were fourth in average yards gained on, on a play. And yet, like I said, they were 17th in points a lot. That is a very clear indicator that the offense was ineffective in turning the ball over. It is amazing to me how much stuff is out there that is just not right. I don't mean to pick on this particular person, but it's just there's a lot of stuff out there where people aren't digging into the reality of the situation. Like just take an extra five minutes and figure out what happened here. And it's not hard to find. Like none of this stuff is a secret. All you had to do was go, you know, talk to any 49er, someone that covers the 49ers and they would tell you what was up. You know, the funny part to me is that guy's day was probably made when that tweet got sent out. You know, (laughs) he's just some random guy who wrote an article and Bleacher Report tweeted it out on their main page with all of their followers. And he's probably like, oh, my God. And then everybody looks at it and goes, what the hell is this? (laughs) Well, you know, and, and maybe it's a lesson learned, hopefully. Um, but we will see. Anyway, that was just again. That's another off-season story. I, I I agree with you. We're getting fired up about it, but nonetheless, I thought it was worth bringing up on the show. Okay, uh, DraftKings has been posting odds for several player awards, and some 49ers feature prominently in that. First up, Coach of the Year, Kyle Shanahan is a favorite for the Coach of the Year with two other coaches atop DraftKings odds. Eleven. Both of the coaches are in the AFC, and I will give you one more hint. Neither one is Andy Reid. Who do you think are the other two coaches that are favored to win the Coach of the Year award? That's a good question, and you're putting me on the spot now. Yes, I am. Uh, I wonder if Bill Belichick is on there, because if they rebound. Belichick is on the list. He's plus 1,800, but he is not among the favorites. The favorites are at plus 1,300, which, if you don't know, that means you... If you bet $100, you win $1,300. Okay. Um, God, I can see him. The Bills head coach. Sean McDermott? Is, yeah, I, I had O'Brien stuck in my head because that's weird. <laughs> it's another bald guy. That's Sean McDermott. Uh, he's plus 1700 He is not at the top of the list. It's actually Brandon Staley of the Chargers and Kevin Stefanski of the Cleveland Browns. According to DraftKings, it's Shanahan, Staley, and Stefanski with the best odds to win coach of the year. Well, the Stefanski one is odd, but I was trying to think of teams that didn't have a good record last year that 
stand yep. a good chance of having a good record this year because that's who always wins it. Very, very rarely is it, you know, somebody that was already coaching a great team. Agreed. You have to have a historic season to to get it then. So yeah, the Niners in the NFC, obviously they're the team most likely to rebound. The Chargers are a team that could rebound. They have a lot of talent. They clearly have a great young quarterback. Stefanski is an odd one to me, but I mean, they could have a really good record. They could win the division. I think that that's just wanting to take advantage of Browns fans coming off a playoff year. Like, yeah, let's throw Stefanski in there and make some cheap money. Yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, Shanahan, I think, has to be a pretty heavy favorite for it because if the Niners make the playoffs, oh, look, Shanahan traded up to get his quarterback, made the playoffs again. Right. If Lance plays and the Niners get to the playoffs, that's going to be a huge feather in in Kyle's cap. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Defensive player of the year, according to DraftKings, Aaron Donald is the favorite at plus 400, which is crazy. Like that is I don't people like that is such good odds for a player award plus 400. But it's just Aaron Donald is an absolute monster and he already has three of them. So uh, he's at the top of the leaderboard. Nick Bosa is on the list. He is not the favorite. He is at plus 1100. If Nick Bosa 11 can go from tearing his ACL in week two last year to defensive player of the year in 2021, that would blow my wildest hopes and dreams for him this year out of the water. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible he could. But I would, if I had to choose which one to take, I would probably pick Fred Warner. Of anybody on the Niners, you're saying? Yeah, right. Of anybody on the Niners, I would take Fred Warner because if the Niners are a top team, and the defense is a top defense. He is the leader of the defense. He's going to put up a lot of tackles. He does a whole lot of things. I think D'Amico Ryans will probably utilize him in a manner that gets him more kind of highlight reels. I think he'll be blitzed more, which D'Amico Ryans has even hinted at that, that he wants to blitz the linebackers a little bit more. So I would pick Fred Warner, but it's certainly possible. It, it all depends on sacks for a defensive lineman. I agree with you. Like you need, you need a couple of things. First of all, you need to have one really good year in the books where everybody learns who you are. Fred Warner has had multiple, but I felt like last year is when he really started to get the credit that he should have deserved nationally. And then number two, like you said, you got to have the counting stats. You can't have like pressures. Like you need to have sacks. You need to have tackles. You need to have picks. And yeah, he, he traditionally hasn't gotten a ton of sacks because he's usually been in coverage because he's an incredible coverage linebacker. Uh, maybe he racks it up a, a lot more. I would definitely like to see more blitzing from this defense. Um, and I know that sort of they're built to get pressure with the front four, but like, let's give Warner a little bit of run here. Like the dude is fast. He can, he can rush the quarterback a little bit. I wouldn't mind seeing a little more pressure from, from everywhere, from defensive backs, from linebackers. Let's see D'Amico get after it a little bit. Yeah, and I think the Abukum signing could be a key here too because he he's really a defensive end in the wide nine, but he has played linebacker. So he's capable of dropping back. He's not great in coverage at all, but he's capable. So you can do some stunts there where you blitz the linebacker instead of Abukum and drop him back. Like I, I could see a lot more creativity, which to be fair was always the complaint with Salah. Like, up until last year, like even in 2019, when the Niners just had so much talent uh, that it didn't matter, up until last year, he wasn't creative. He he had his system, and he wasn't going to change from it. 
Yeah, he was very much kind of a, just running the Seattle like this is what we do. and We're just so damn good that you can't do anything about it. Um, so, yeah, Mike, more creativity, I think, would be good for everybody, especially when you cannot expect them to get to 2019 levels again. No, you can't expect that, but it's certainly possible. It's possible the defense is even better than 2019 because the offense could be even better than 2019. Well, you have pointed out many times, and I think astutely, that 29 defense gave up fewer passing yardage than any Legion of Boom defense ever. And you're telling me they could be better than that? Like, that is... They weren't great against the run that year. They were, I guess you could say good. They were above average against the run that year. And then historically good against the pass. But if the if the offense is led by Trey Lance, we have seen time and time again that a young quarterback who can run and thus extend drives that otherwise would not have extended gives the defense more rest, uh, makes the game shorter because the clock is continually running because the quarterback is giving you essentially more run plays, that the defense gets a big boost from that statistically. So if you combine that with hopefully a healthy Bosa season, you could get a defense that is right there with 2019. Look, obviously that's what I'm rooting for. I just, I think it's going to be kind of a slower ramp up for Bosa. I think he'll, you know, presuming that he can stay healthy, I think the knee will get stronger and stronger as it goes along. So I think the week 14, 15, 16 Nick Bosa could actually be better than the week one, week two, week three Nick Bosa. But we'll see. Uh, Look, I, I freely admit I'm rooting for you to be correct, which is rare for me, I know. But uh, we'll find out. You mentioned the offense being led by Trey Lance. The Rookie of the Year odds from DraftKings also came out. Lance, of course, is on the list. How many guys do you think are ahead of Lance when it comes to best odds for Offensive Rookie of the Year? I'll go with three. You are incorrect. It is one. There is only one player with better odds than Trey Lance to win Rookie of the Year, which is crazy because he might not even start the season with the job. Uh, Any bets on who the the one guy is? Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is at plus 300. Trey Lance is at plus 600. Uh, Zach Wilson also at plus 600. And then next best is Najee Harris with the Steelers, the running back, at plus 800. Yeah, see, that's why I went three, because there were four possibilities. Lawrence, I would have been certain, was above him. Wilson, I would personally have above him just because of the chance that Lance doesn't start right away. Obviously, the Niners will almost definitely have a better season than the Jets, but not starting even three or four games normally eliminates you from contention. Um, and then there was the Fields possibility. If he gets the Bears job right out of the gate, that Bears offense isn't bad. And he does have a pretty good offensive mind coaching him. And then there was the Najee Harris, where if he's the starter in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh makes the playoffs, he could have a 12, 1300 yard season as a rookie running. Oh, I apologize. I didn't. I don't know if I mentioned this. Fields is plus six hundred, so same odds as Lance. I didn't see that. I I must have read the list incorrectly, which makes sense to me because Fields is going to start out of the gate. You would think so. If anybody could have should have better odds than Trey Lance, you would think it would be Justin Fields because Lance could only play half a season. Right. Um. I I feel like that's kind of. I, I would seriously doubt it's laziness because it's Vegas. Lazy's they're not going to be lazy with their odds, but to have. From what you told me, three quarterbacks, all at plus 600. It's kind of odd. They have Lance and Fields at plus 600. Lawrence is plus 300. What about Wilson? Wilson is plus 700. Okay. So slightly different there. You did a really good job of reading that list to me. You know what it... (laughs) All right, I don't want (laughs) to... Sure. 
<laughs> oh, and before we go, there were two other stories that came out, both of which you and I think are kind of not really a big a deal, but we wanted to at least mention to you before we go. The first one comes from everybody's favorite 49ers Twitter troll. That's Grant Cohn, who tweeted out that the Niners have the second oldest team in the league in terms of average age for their players. They are at 26.33. That is the second oldest only to the Houston Texans who have the oldest. It's a little, uh, it's slightly higher than 26.33. I don't have the number written down, but the Niners were the second oldest. Do you think that is a big deal at all? No, because you have to look at where that age comes from. The quarterback is going to be young because it's Trey Lance. Your top two receivers, both young. Your uh, stars on defense, Nick Bosa, young. Fred Warner, young. Like all their key players, George Kittle is, is still pretty young. All their key players are in their prime or just getting to their prime. It, it's really a lot of the special teams players and a lot of the depth players who are older vets. So that's not a concern to me. Robbie Gold, Alex Mack, Trent Williams. <laughs> right. Like they, there's different layers to this. Sometimes an old roster is really concerning because a lot of their starters are where the age comes from. The Niners aren't that way. And the last thing on our list is that negotiations have not begun between the 49ers and Fred Warner, um, but they have begun between the Colts and Darius Leonard. And so there's a thought that the Niners would maybe want to hurry to get the Warner deal done before Leonard resets the market and then they have to top that deal. I don't think it's a big deal because even if Leonard signs first, it's not like Fred Warner is going to get $80 million more than him. Like, yeah, they might have to pay slightly more, but I don't think it's going to be anything hugely significant. And I think I saw a thing already that the Niners have like $18 million in cap room left uh, as of right now anyway. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem to get Warner under the cap. The Niners are really good at structuring these deals in a team-friendly way. So it might cost them a little more if Darius Leonard signs, but like Warner's going to get the deal done, just like Kittle's going to get the deal done, or we knew that Kittle was going to get a deal. I actually think there's a better chance that like I'm even less worried about Warner than Kittle, frankly. And so like I'll just wait, sit back, wait for my phone to blow up the day that Warner signs, and then we'll do an emergency pod. <laughs> I mean, you don't know. The Leonard thing, if he signs first, could end up helping because they probably have pretty similar numbers in mind in terms of the players and their agents. Well, if Leonard goes first and Warner says, I want to be number one, the Niners can say, okay, we'll make you number one. We'll one-up him by a million or two. Then you're going to do a team-friendly deal. And so they have a negotiating tactic to get him into a team-friendly deal in terms of structure. He doesn't strike me like the one guy on the Niners who I worry about when it comes to contract time is Nick Bosa because the Bosa's know their worth and they're not afraid to play hardball when they're negotiating. And all you got to do is look at Joey Bosa's contract with the Chargers. I mean, he played hardball on his rookie deal when there was really almost nothing to negotiate for a rookie contract. The Bosa's know what they're worth and they're not afraid to let you know it too. Warner strikes me as a guy like he doesn't, not that he doesn't know what he's worth, but he strikes me as a guy who's like, hey, Get the deal done. Get me all you can get. But the most important thing is I want to be out there playing ball. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with you there. Uh, I would not be at all surprised, and I would even probably put the odds around 50-50 that the Niners have three years left of Nick Bosa, two plus the franchise, because 
I don't know if they're going to be able to afford a $30 million DE, which is probably where the market will be by the time it comes around. And he is going to want it unless he has injury prone seasons again. But I don't see the Niners wanting or willing to do that. Yes, that's going to be, that'll be dicey. But I don't want to worry about that now. Like you said, we have years from now. I just want to worry about Nick Bosa getting his ass out on the field and getting back to being the dominating force that he was for the Niners in 2019. That is it for us today on this edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. Levin is going to go crack open a bottle of DiSerono. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm going to go deep clean my house more because my sister's going to be here and it's my daughter's birthday tomorrow. So. Oh, how old is she going to be? One. You're like legit having a birthday party? No, just my sister's coming in. She hasn't met her yet because of COVID. So, and she's okay. the godmother. So, all right, that's cool. When my son turned one, my wife, this was six years ago, had like a big party, which I was totally against because it's not for the kid. The kid doesn't have any memory of what's going on. And we had to like rent a hall and we did a whole thing and it was stupid and it was terrible. Uh, But this is obviously a much different situation. So that's good. Clean the house then. I hope your sister enjoys the meeting. Take lots of pictures. And for everybody else, we will be talking to you next week. No more Thursday interruptions that mess up the Gold Standard podcast. Go Niners. You just jinxed us. <laughs>